This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 651 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Total Saddle Fit. On tonight's show, we will be joined by Kendra Hansis, a dressage horse breeder from New Jersey. After that, we're going to discuss education and development of riders with Angela Ariati. Karen Isberg comes back onto the show to have a great chat. Reese and I will bring you a wonderful tip. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Loxahatchee, Florida. And this is Philip Park, still in Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Oh, Phil, I wish you were down here with me. It would be a lot of fun. We could have partied for your birthday, you know? I know. Yes, it was my birthday yesterday. It was. It was fun to celebrate in the sun and with some friends. It was uh, COVID-friendly, but it was fun. It was fun. We had a good time, and uh, it was nice to to get out a little bit. Yes, it was my birthday, but it's a busy week here. Um it is Global Week One, so it's the first week of CDIs, which is crazy. Um, and I am actually horse showing on Saturday, so kind of getting back in the swing of things, which is crazy. It just it's fun. Oh wow! So, uh, is it big entries for this first show? Do you know what's going I, you on? You know, I, I'm so, I, I I actually don't You're know. Um, kind of isolated. Yeah, I'm kind of isolated. I'm going to head over uh, tomorrow and pick up my um, kind of prepare, like we always talk about, um, because it is, you know. Well, I've shared it on the show before. Like I definitely have show anxiety and show nerves. So one of the things that I found for me, the more organized I can be, you know, for example, I I'm able to go and pick up my number. And so that when we get to Saturday morning, uh, when I horse show, I'm already checked in. I will make sure my trailer's hooked up on Friday night. So if there's any problems, I can deal with that. Uh, make sure my shed belly's ready to go. I have my clothes out. I'll take care of all of that tomorrow, which is Friday. We're recording on Thursday night. So I'll re- take care of that all tomorrow so that, uh, and I'll, you know, it's a school night. So I try not to go out and party anymore. Maybe when I was younger, I didn't do that, but now that I'm, more mature. Uh, I uh, <laughs> will stay home, you know, kind of a school night, just kind of an, an, a quiet evening here at, at the house with my ho- with my horses and my dog and uh, watch Netflix and just kind of relax a little bit. Um, run through my test. We did a run through today, uh, which was great. Uh, Bingo hasn't done a Grand Prix uh, since August. So uh, it's been a little time. So it, it's fun to sort of kind of get ready to get back out there. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, but it is for me always a little bit of anxiety. So I try to, I have my routine and what I do and I have weird things. Like I don't eat fish the night before I compete. I did that once. It didn't go well. So like I just have <laughs> weird things, right? That o- I, o- over the years. Yeah. You learn a few, yeah, uh, like, uh, a few tips about your yeah. own, uh, you know, yeah. digestive system. For <laughs> no sure. salmon the night before you think, Oh, I'm eating yeah, healthy. Okay. And I think I got a bad piece once. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so I'm really picky. I eat something fairly bland. Um, and also, you know, I know I, you know, again, we've talked about that with a bunch of people. It is important that you do eat before the horse show. So I actually have some, uh, protein shakes that I, I don't like eating them, but 
I can get them down. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't like it, but it is something. Oh, because, you know, you know, the, the, you know. the protein bars, they, they're pretty, yeah, you know, the bars, they're, they're not bad. They, mm-hmm. They've been developed better, you know? Mm-hmm. And so basically yeah. find something that, you know, you have to find something that you like to eat and then, cause you do have to eat. You can't go in there. You know, so many people will do that. You know, they'll be nervous before the horse show or their stomach hurts. And you're like, well, what did you have for breakfast? They're like, five cups of coffee. <laughs> like, well, that'll, that'll do it. That'll do it. So yeah. good tip. Good tip. Yeah, Usually good the tip. first show is a little bit of a smaller one anyways, but yeah. Yeah. I didn't even look at the entries. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be fun. So we're getting the party started down here and um, I'm looking forward to to getting out there. So uh, we have a great show for everybody. Um, we're going to get into it because it's it's a great, but a little on the longer side. So uh, we're going to stop with a commercial break from Kentucky Performance Products and get back with some great content for you. She had waited all her life for this moment, dreaming about it since she was 10 years old. The trailer ramp touched the ground. He whinnied as she backed him out, swinging his head around to get a good look at his new home. His coat gleamed in the sun. Her love had arrived. She was breathless. He was beautiful. She could hardly wait to tack him up and start off on what she was sure would be the best times of her life. This love story is brought to you by Contribute, providing essential omega-3 fatty acids that help maintain low inflammation levels throughout your horse's body. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. Well, tonight we're very excited to have Kendra Hensis of Running Water Warm Bloods. She is a breeder and she bred uh, lots of famous horses, including Fortunato. Kendra, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. We are thrilled to have you, and we're glad because we don't give breeders enough love on the show, and for, for just because we have lots to talk about. Um, but we're really excited to have you. So we wanted uh, to start the interview with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your horses. Okay. Well, I started breeding because I couldn't afford a dressage horse like I I wanted, you know, wished for, and. So I thought, well, I'll just breed one and that will be my new dressage horse. And I tell you, I, I bred one. This was um, 2000 into 2001. And it was really quickly an addiction that I could not stop. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I bred the one and learned so much and got really into it really quickly. And it's it's a passion and I can't. I can't, ex- it's a really fantastic part of uh, horse ownership and, and the horse experience, I guess. Um, every once in a while, I see people say, oh, don't breed a horse, buy it. And I'm like, why would you stop anyone from having that fantastic experience of breeding a horse and bringing it into the world and raising it? Because to me, it's really wonderful. So I don't discourage anyone from trying their hand at breeding. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, a lot of people know that uh, I work for a small breeder, you know, a small operation, but uh, I think that she, I think a lot of people get, get that start the way that you did is to say, um, you know, I really want a fantastic horse and maybe I have a great mare that I have and, and then I go ahead and breed it. But maybe something, you know, an experience that you can uh, relate with is that it's, you know, in the end, I don't think that, you know, there's money to be saved there. 
Um, you know, maybe you can, <laughs> yeah. maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Um, well, for me, it, it's more like if you breed your own, you're spending the same amount of money over time instead of all at once. So for me, it was, you know, it was this way or no way. Ironically, of course, that first foal was not what I had hoped she would be and, you know, became a, a hunter and, it, you know, wasn't the dressage horse of my dreams. But then I went on and I started to collect group mares. And I think one of the things I've done over time is to really improve my broodmare herd as I went. So, yeah, I don't think you save a lot of money by breeding your own. But what you learn in exchange is really, really pretty amazing. Yeah, it's definitely a labor of love, but it's, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I can't <laughs> imagine these people who are, are like, you hear all the time people who say, oh, I'm going to retire from breeding. And they just don't because they can't. <laughs> you, you just can't stop. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, the babies are so cute, but... I, I think, you know, I, I also did some breeding and I did find out after three horses I produced, it wasn't necessarily for me, um, because that wasn't my passion, but I will tell you, it has been so fun to follow my horses and what they're doing. And the two mares that I actually sold the mares, um, I kept the gelding who I still have, but, um, I'll have them forever. But the mares have been very, very successful. And it's so fun as a breeder to watch and to be in the stands. Uh, one of them actually won, um, I can't remember. It was a national championship in Kentucky. And that was so fun. I got to see her get her ribbon and hear that I bred her. And then everyone's like, who else do you have? I was like, oh, that was my last one. So um, I can yeah. see it's, it's addicting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's incredibly gratifying too, to see when they go out and they do well. I just, I think it's wonderful. And I, I, yeah. you know, I mean, it certainly has its, its low moments and, and and difficult times yeah this spring we actually um we had a foal who um through an accident um actually died and it was yeah. it's very very sad you know it's like anything you know if it's got its highs and its lows and uh that was that was certainly certainly a low and and that's just part of the experience i suppose yeah this year i think i had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows i I lost a mare and foal to a dystocia. Um, the mare was a, an, a recent mare, and the, the foal was the first foal I had bred where I bred both parents, and it was, you know, it was horrible. And then two, three months later, I'm in the Dixon Oval winning grand champion of Devon. And it was so yeah. Right, right, <laughs> right. There you go. That's breeding. Exactly. I mean, that's pretty great to be in that's, Grand Champion at Devon. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, I did not ever think uh, someone like me could win that. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm a middle-aged lady trying her best is what I really am. <laughs> so, I hear you, sister. I don't have any staff. <laughs> I don't have any staff. I don't have any, you know, no nothing. And I just, it's all me. And, uh, you know, I do this in my, the backyard of my family home. And this is. Uh, that's great. That's I, great. I now, bless that. you. Yeah. Yes, bless you. Because without, without breeders and this passion project, we aren't, you know, there aren't going to be any horses to ride, you know, there's, and even in Germany, there's, 
there's only a few really big breeders and then the rest are, you know, they, they kind of breed on the side. They have a farm and they, you know, so I, I know that, yeah, you know, one or two a year. Yeah. Going around and, you, and if you're looking for a young horse in Germany, even you've got to drive around like to all these little farms, you know, and they've got horses in the back. You know, when I lived in Holland, it's the same experience. You know, somebody might have uh, a dairy operation and then, and then they're breeding three, you know, three mares a year or less. Um, so it is, it is a passion project. Um, Kendra, I was just going to ask you, are, do you stick to a certain breed? Like, are you a K, KWPN breeder or Hanoverian breeder? What's your lines? I have a combination of lines and I'd say I'm about half uh, GOV and yeah. half Dutch at the moment. And I do like to mix back and forth between them. I don't say, you know, every horse has to be of a certain registry. I look at the horse itself and um, I like to, I like to kind of mix and match a little bit, but I do, I've been quite involved with the, the GOV registry. I went on tour with them in Canada, got to go to all kinds of inspections in Ooh. Canada in 2019, which was, you know, it's just wonderful because I got to meet all these breeders that I had known on Facebook for, you know, in some cases, decades, which was really great, you know, to, to go and see them. Yeah, um, for sure. So that, I mean, that, that was really wonderful. I would say the breeders community is is pretty strong, isn't it? I mean, because it is... You know, it's same like riders, you know, you have your riders, but the breeders, you know, you kind of have to stick together because there is a lot of, especially this time of year, right? Now it's time to pick stallions. And so can you talk to us a little bit about sort of your January project and what you're working on? It, it's so funny. I was just talking to a friend of mine, um, actually one of the people I met in Canada. And I said, you know, I don't know who I'm using this year at all. And she said, but you seem like you always have it all planned. I'm like, mirrors, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It's, um, you know, sometimes I do have them planned out for a long time. And then sometimes, you know, I'm just not sure. And it's, it's a first time mare and I want to see how it produces. And, and I make my decision when the foal hits the ground. Um, and then there are others where I just want to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Tuna, for example, has two full brothers. It, you know, that was a no-brainer. I, I yeah. went to Philly desperately, and the mayor said <laughs> five folks to give me a number six was a Philly. <laughs> so, wow. You know, I waited six years for this, this Philly that I got this year, finally. But yeah, so, I, so it's, it's a matter of, and I always tell people this who are trying to decide on a stallion for their mayor. Like, no one knows your mayor better than you do so don't think that anyone else who calls themselves an expert can come in and say well you should read your mare to this horse and that's the end of it you know trust yourself um and that's something that i had to learn from. you know it took a long time to kind of say to myself you know i i really trust myself in my breeding decision but what i tell people to do is you know even if it's your first full you're breeding or your 20th full you're breeding Come up, you know, ask for advice. That's fine. And come up with a list of, you know, three or four stallions that you really like. But then trust your gut and go with that. Because no one knows your mare more than you do. And you have to live with the foal. You have to, you know, support it, pay for it, feed it, everything. So trust yourself. 
when I started to really trust myself, that's when my, I feel like my horses got that much better. So Kendra, I, I know that a lot of uh, breeders have, you know, kind of a basic philosophy of breeding that they, that they try to kind of stick to and, and, and when they're making a plan for their breeding. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about, about yours and, you know, how, how you make decisions or, or what's going on in, in your decision making. Okay. I was told uh, by many breeders uh, when I started, this is like the first decade of breeding for me. Um, I was told during that time that, you know, the American market is adult amateurs and you need to breed what adult amateurs ride. And it has to be very easy going and it can't be too big a mover. And this is what people need here in this country. And so that's what I did for about a decade. I don't disagree with that. But what happened for me was I started to sort of hang out with and be fascinated by the horses that um, friends of mine were riding. And these are people who are pros or they're amateurs who ride like pros. And they, they you know, we have kind of, I, I live in Hunterdon County, uh, New Jersey, and it's a very interesting dressage community here. And so I started to breed more for that type of person. And I cha- I decided I want to breed for pros and adults or for amateurs who are really ambitious. And so that's kind of my viewpoint. And I was told, some breeders told me, well, you can't do that in America. That's not going to work. You're not going to sell anything. You're not going to, you know, that's just such a niche market that you're not going to be successful. And I said, okay, but, you know, I'm doing all of this myself and I've decided that this is what I want to do. And they're like, well, good luck. You're going to be out of business kind of thing. And so, you know, I just thought, well, maybe I will be. We'll see, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, trust exactly. your gut. Trust, trust your gut. gut. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's kind of my philosophy. And so I did that. I changed my breeding focus in about 2014. And since then, you know, it's been really successful for me. It's been good. It's not for everyone. It's not what everybody wants to do or should do. And I get that. But it's been good for me. I sell only foals. Sometimes I sell in utero. And my foals are sold by the time they're three or four weeks old. Sometimes they're sold by the time they're three or four hours old. And, you know, it's so far it's it's been good. I get calls from people who are, you know, I'm like, I can't believe you just called me famous people. And they're like, what do you have? And I said, well, I, I have to say to them, I don't have anything because they're not born yet. Yeah. And when they are born, they're going to be so, you know? Yes. Um, so it kind of goes like that. And I guess, um, what I would, what I do tell them is, uh, try to get a pipeline going because a lot of people call me looking for two and three and four year olds. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's been sold for years by then. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, I mean, that's, there's there's yeah. lots of people that, you know, there's lots of people like myself, you know, who are pros, but who don't have big backers and, you know, and like, I, I need to do it on a budget. Right. So then we do go out and just, yeah. you know, Look, I bought a foal last, you know, was it last, what year are yeah, we in? Yeah. She, I bought I a foal in, in the fall of 2020. That's my pandemic I was like, foal. isn't she, almost, yeah, she's a year and a half. Yeah, she's a year and a half. 
Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so I mean, if there's some small breeders that are selling to, I mean, it is a niche market, right? You know, talented horses or sure. you know, really you know, good good bloodlines and good movement and all of that to pros. But I think you know, I think there's there is a market out there for that, and you know, if, if like you said, you've got to love what you produce first and foremost and believe in what you produce. So trust your gut and just go with it. And there are buyers out there, right? So, I mean, good for you and congratulations. Yeah. It really matters to me who ends up with these foals. I want to know that they're, they're, if they do have ambition and, you know, I'll work with people on getting them a foal if they have that kind of ambition, if they have the track record to train up a foal or to show a horse, you know, up the level. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. It's great. That's That's amazing. So just because I think the market, the the horse market is so crazy. I think it's just an interesting discussion on what is the typical cost for foals right now? Because just like everything, the cost of horses are, it's it's expensive now, even for a foal. So good quality, nicely bred full what is sort of the average market value right now i know it's a tough question but give or take <laughs> um average i would say uh 15 to 20 uh-huh. for for you know an average full a, a, a full with good prospects um yeah because it, it, it used to be 10 right the price has gone up, and I, that's why I wanted to bring that up. The price, because it costs more to produce them, it costs more for the veterinary, it cost, you know, everything is costing more. So I think that's really important Absolutely. for people to sort of know, like, even if you want a full, you still need to have a decent amount of money to to go. I mean, I I think that's a decent amount of money. That's a lot of money. So you you got to be ready for oh, that. Yeah. Is kind of where I'm going with that. Yeah, it, and it did used to be that you know they were eight to 10,000. And that was, you know, a good price for a foal, but it has gone up quite a bit. Um, the cost of everything, just, you know, everything's gone up. Um, and if you want something that's by a, a European stallion, the, the frozen semen doses are getting smaller, more expensive. Uh, so that's an issue as well. I do save some money because I, I have my own ultrasound machine and I do my own work. So that helps. I pull out my own horses. I don't send them places. I do the whole deal. And, right. and that does right. kind of help out. But um, yeah, they're, yeah, I love it. They're expensive. Mm-hmm. And Kendra, I have just another kind of question for you for people that are like, oh, I really want to get interested in breeding. You know, what are some good resources that you can recommend people to just either start connecting with breeders or how do you even get started with that? Oh, I always like to talk to people on the phone. Um, <laughs> Great. One thing I'll say, well, call me, I can help you out. Um, <laughs> but also study, do, you know, do your, do the work. You have to know what you're what you're talking about. You have to know what you're looking at. You know, know the bloodlines. Go on Horse Telex, for instance. Uh, you can learn a lot there. Um, the Horse Magazine has this whole um, history of, you know, stories about different stallions, articles about different stallions and different bloodlines. Uh, and that's really helpful. There are a lot of veterinary texts and 
you know, Colorado State University has a lot of stuff online about, you know, breeding and everything to do with caring for foals and for bears and stallions. And um, there really are lots of resources online. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and lots of people who are willing to, to help and to offer, you know, experience and advice. Right. Right. Yeah. No, like, I love like you said, I, like you said, you can reach out to, you know, the president of the Canadian Hanoverian Society or the uh, North American Oldenburg Association or the North American KWPN. I mean, th- those people love to talk about breeding. They'll get they'll give you they'll <laughs> chat your ear off, you know, but, you know, so, you know, find other people that are passionate about it and, and you know, join a club and and uh and and get into it because they it's it's a wonderful you know there's wonderful groups that really will you know they they see it as a collaborative effort yeah absolutely um i also believe strongly in talking to riders i think that sometimes people think reading and riding are kind of mutually exclusive activities and for me it's it's very much you know i love talking to my rider friends saying well what did you think of this horse you know, what kind of feelings did you get from that one? Why did you sell that one? Why did you keep that one? You know, all of these things are really useful. Um, and you'll see, you know, you talk to enough riders and the the commonalities, among, you know, between different lines are, are you know, it gets really clear yeah. what they like, what they don't like. And I, I'm never one to say, oh, how dare you say that's not a good bloodline? You know, everyone has yeah. their their things they like and their things they don't like. So right, right. No, and I think know, that that's so, yeah. I think that's so real. You know, and in in a good thing to think about because it is so true that a lot of people, you know, that that riders have specific things, and and it's all a team effort, right? At the end of the day, we want to be grand champion at, at Devon, right? And and to get there, you have to do all the steps and somebody's going to have to ride that horse. So I love it. Well, Kendra, we could talk to you all night, but I uh, wanted to see if you could tell our listeners how they can find you online, if they have any questions. Oh, um, well, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and I'm also, I also have a, a website, runningwaterwarmblood.net. Um, Fantastic. So you can find me there. Great. Well, thank thank you you so much. much. It's been so nice talking to you guys. We've enjoyed having you as well. The Horsemanship Radio podcast is dedicated to the advancement of great horsemanship throughout the world. Monty Roberts often stops by to present on this podcast, hosted by his daughter and legacy strategist, Debbie Roberts-Lauks. The show includes segments, tips, and interviews exploring effective training centered on the well-being of the horse. This multiple award-winning podcast has 1.6 million downloads to date. Horsemanshipradio.com, sponsored by Hands-On Gloves and Monty Roberts University. Well, tonight I am so excited to have Angela Ariadne of Ariadne Equestrian Services in Simpsonville, Kentucky on. Angela, welcome back. Thanks, Reese and Phil. I'm excited to be back. Happy we love Happy New Year. We love having you on because you are t- really, truly our resident kiddo expert. You do all types of riders, uh, but in in my opinion, you do an, an unbelievable job with developing um, kid riders. You and I have been working together 
oh, I don't even know how long now, but I've seen you develop. Yeah. Where I'm like, I don't, we're not going to talk about how long, but seeing how you develop young riders to be incredibly good horse people. I really, truly don't know anyone that does as good of a job and you get them when they're like four and I don't even know what to do with them. So that we wanted to have a little discussion about that and sort of, you know, kind of as you're coming into programs, because uh, right now so many kids are coming into horses, which is amazing. But um, your program specifically, not only the kids learn riding, but they learn horse husbandry and, you know, how to take care of their, their, their horses. So we wanted to have that discussion a little bit about, um, what do you, what should you be learning sort of in your first year of coming into being a a horse man or woman, um, and, and how you teach that. So we'll hand it your way. Um, we are actually, my facility is a United States Pony Cub Center. Um, I grew up in the United States Pony Cub Standards, which I feel like for everybody should really look that up and realize it's an international organization. So I very much have honed in on their standards and that understanding. So the kids that come in, it's very important that when they're young, that we make it into a game. So just like when you go to kindergarten, um, there are boundaries and standards, you know, there's like, you know, nap time and coloring time and, but it's all, everything you do is a game. So the first year we're trying to make everything we do is a game and we try to encourage them to be friends with their horse. So this is your friend and would you treat your friend like this or would you not treat your friend like this? Um, as well as giving them certain boundaries to understand position. So in the first year, position is really important because as we know, as we start to ride and develop our relationship with our horse, one of the ways that we communicate with our horse is the biggest way, in my opinion, is our position. So making a body statement um, and understanding what that position should be and it should be in balance and it it should be able to follow the horse in what we want the horse to do and then as well as we're making it fun so if you had a four-year-old and you brought it to me you would notice that in the beginning I'm working a lot on position and um, I say goofy things um, like we ride on the lunge line, first of all, in the beginning, and uh, four-year-olds have great imagination, and we'll imagine that we're putting our hands out to try to catch the birds in the arena that are flying <laughs> to your hand. So we're going to put our hand out. We're going to really concentrate so that little sparrow in the barn will come and stand on my hand. And then I'll start moving their hands around and say, let the bird fly or catch the bird again. And we'll do things like that. So we use their imagination in the beginning. They love to use their imagination. And then in the middle of the lesson or the end of the lesson, then I would have a game to play. So we have, we do lots of obstacle courses. We incorporate the horsemanship into the game. One of our favorite games, besides the rock game, which I think I've told Phil about the rock game before. 
Hmm. Yeah, sister. yeah, I remember that. I remember that remember discussion. Yeah. yeah. So the rock game um, is, you know, there's rocks in the ring and we want to pick them up. We don't want rocks in the ring. So we put them on the rail and then we have them go and find the rocks. With the horses? And then, With the, yeah, yeah, yeah on foot. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I, I was like, wait, I'm confused. Okay, cool. You go with the horses and find them. In the rocks. arena, and I pick up all. I pick up five rocks. Okay, there shouldn't be rocks in the arena, so this is a way for me to clean the arena. <laughs> I think it's I genius. I'm thinking, geez, yes. <laughs> I'm like kind of taking care of the barn at the same time. I so, love it. <laughs> you know, so we pick up the rocks, and then we we they stand in the middle of the circle. They close their eyes, and I hide the rocks or on the rail or on the on something on the standards, um, something high enough that they can reach it. And they have to figure out how to get their ponies parallel to the rock so they can pick it up. Oh, well, at four cool. years old, yeah, at four years old, you don't have a lot of spatial awareness. So you walk your pony straight to the rock with his nose on the rock. And then you'll realize you can't pick up the rock. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So of course. they're trying to solve the problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've got to figure it. out how to maneuver the horse. And then they, there is my opportunity to teach turn on the forehand. Oh, see, you're just so good. You get rocks picked up at your ring and you're teaching turn on the forehand. You're my hero. But that's great. <laughs> oh, right. So, that's yeah, so I, I think, I think what's great is that you, you know, you're teaching the basics, you're keeping it fun, but you're also providing a really structured, you know, lessons for the kids. I think partially, you know, for non-horsey parents and for horsey parents too, you know, you, you can take your child to a place to learn a lesson. And, you know, like, what should you be looking for? Well, you're looking for some sort of certification, whether it's through the Pony Club, which, I mean, I kind of came up in that program and, and I think it's awesome and wonderful. Um, but in Canada, we, we, have, we have certifications too for, you know, people... For, for teaching, but also, you know, a structured program for, you know, learning the things, you know, we have eight rider levels, which, you know, is partially, you know, you, your competence in riding, but also your knowledge uh, of, of horses and horse diet and how to care for a horse and how, you know, because I think that part of it is just really, really, really so important that it's not just, you know, a horse is not a machine or a bicycle or a piece of equipment that you just use and you and you put away. And that's, that's what, what I think, you know, teaches kids a lot of, you know, life lessons or, you know, teaches them to compassion and care for an animal, which, I mean, I, I think that's Before really Before you come to us for the first lesson, you would get a list of what's expected of you. And one of the things that's expected is the understanding that you should arrive 15 to 20 minutes before and that you should expect to leave that you're going to be there 15 or 20 minutes after your lesson, at least. And that it's that we are teaching the whole horse and the whole horsemanship. So the first lesson, you don't just come and your horse is tucked up. Like a lot of our saddlebred friends, um, you, you come and we say, okay, you're going to develop a relationship with this horse. Let me show you how to communicate on the ground through grooming and then how you put the pack on and all that. So, by the time I, my expectation, my expectations are always within the age, understanding what the age is of the kid. 
I don't, I do believe that a six-year-old can lift a saddle onto a pony's back. They might need a stool, but so does my 70-year-old student. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. for sure. Accommodations, yeah. People think because they're little, they can't lift it up or whatever. And the biggest expectation with six-year-olds or five-year-olds or four-year-olds, they, they definitely do have some physical limitations. But they're not limited on problem solving. On You've got to start developing that early. So the way that I do that in the beginning is I always say, I want you to to figure out, and we did this with Lisa's niece. Yes. I want you to solve the problem. The problem is you don't have your saddle and you, or you need to get the saddle on the horse and you can't reach its back. So now how are we going to solve that problem? Like, what are you going to do? Mom and dad aren't here. You want to ride your horse. What are you going to do? And they'll just kind of look at you for a while. You know, and you kind of look at them for a while. And then I kind of glance over at the bucket or I glance at the mounting block. Like, hint, hint, you know? Um, <laughs> then they start doing it. But what happens a lot of times is adults get impatient or they feel like they need to help them. So they do it and they're missing the opportunity to create confidence, which is a big thing in writing and it's a big thing in life. Of I could solve this problem if I was alone. I could solve this problem. You know, and we look for those, we sometimes set situations up so they have to solve the problem. Right. Um, there, I get some kids, they will not, they will not make a move. They have no confidence. And these are my 10 or 11 year old kids because they have not started with me. They've come from another program and they'll say, well, Miss Angela, um, you know, they, they can't get the halter on or they get the halter on, but they're confused if they should use the, the cross tie or tie their horse up in the stall. So they'll just like stand there. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, I don't know. Should I use the cross tie or should I tie him in the stall? I'm like, I don't know. What do you think? You know, I mean, yeah. we have a conversation about it or, you know, the horse isn't lifting up his, his left front leg. Well, what are you going to do about it? You know, how are we going to do that? How are we going to solve that? You know, are we going to kick the horse until he picks up his leg? Are we going to give him a treat? I have an adult. She loves to give the, the horse a treat. And I basically, I told her, I said, you realize the relationship you have right now with your horse is you are a tens dispenser. <laughs> you just yeah. You're like, this is great. Different relationship with your horse. than he looks at you as if you're just going to release the food, you know? Um, so, yeah, but I, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's evident in kids, but it is evident in, in adults as well. You know, this, the, the situations are sometimes a bit more complex, but, you know, you have lots of people who have, you know, what I call paralysis by analysis, you know, so they, they, they maybe don't understand the problem on the horseback or, you know, or, or what, what they think the horse should do. You know, they've analyzed, 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 and then they're reluctant to move forward with a solution. And, you know, you see right. this particularly with people who take a lesson every couple of weeks and, you know, whatever your situation is. But, um, you know, and then and then I walk in the arena and I says, oh, you know, how's it going? You know, what, you know, what happened over the last couple of weeks? And then and then you get the report back that, 
well, I, th- I think he's doing this. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably what he's doing, but I don't know what to do about it. Right. And, 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 right. Then, and then, and then, and then this guy, you know, the, the question for me is what if you tried? Well, nothing. Yeah. No, yeah, because I don't, exactly. I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know what the right thing to do was. Well, <laughs> yes. I mean, as okay. long as you're safe and as long as, you know, what, what, you know, all, all the caveats, like, why don't you try this? And if it doesn't work the next day you come out, you, you try something else, you know, or, or, so you, or you, you, you reanalyze your problem after going, you know, after trying something and then give something else a go. I think confidence within kids and confidence within people learning is just, don't be afraid to fail. Right. Right. Uh, totally. I'm, we're totally big on that. Um, you know, so, so I find that that happens a lot when a child in their developmental preteen years and teen years are not given the opportunity to make a mistake or are shamed for their mistake. So when they're shamed for their mistake, they will freeze and they won't do anything or they will overdo. Like they'll, mm-hmm. they'll do the same mistake like over and over and over again, but I'm going to do it harder. You know, like I told, I tell people like, like I tell the kids, I'm like, you ever make a puzzle? And they're like, yeah, I go, you, do you ever try to fit a puzzle piece into a place it can't go like a circle into a triangle? And if you don't fit it, the circle into a triangle, you pick up the hammer and try to hammer the circle into the triangle, <laughs> but that didn't really work. Right. Yeah. You know? So taking them through the thinking process. And that is where you go from the first year in riding, right? Is fun and we're learning our position and we're on an aged horse or schooled horse that you kind of make some mistakes and he's like, okay. But I still bring their attention to, okay, how did your horse perform differently? Even if it's a schooled horse, by the end of that first year, we're discussing you know, what behavior is your horse showing back at you, right? Then the next year, or we'll call it the next year, or in Pony Club, we call it the C standard. This is where independence comes from. And C's should be in their preteens and their teen years. That's where the C should be. That's the age group the C should be. We're learning Mm -hmm. independence. We're Mm -hmm. learning independence. We're going to make mistakes. We'll probably have a car accident. And we don't want to have a car accident and then be shamed that we can never drive again. We want to be a little more aware and we're going to have times when we're going to be really confident and do something silly, like attempt the counter canner unbalanced, which is fun (laughs) for for teenagers. But, you know, um, I mean, I'm cantering on the wrong lead and I made it around the turn, you know, it's a good time. (laughs) <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> um, and then they'll be humbled by the horse, right? You know, and then we, ha- but from those, whatever happens, good or bad, we're going to, like you said, they'll analyze it, discuss it. How did it work? How did it not work? And by the time the kids get to that, in my opinion, I have an 11 year old right now that, that has not been in my program for, since she was, she was not started in my program. and. It's very, this is a typical 11 year old lesson. Hey, is your horse's, the inside of your horse's neck a little shorter than the outside of your horse's neck? No. Okay. Um, Are you going to do anything about that? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, do you want me to do something about that? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think it's your responsibility to make sure that your horse is flat. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it is. Okay, now, now realize, we're still having the conversation, Phil. We're trotting a 20-meter circle. We're having this conversation. Imagine the horse is headed straight in the air, completely counterflex. And you're like, okay, so you know your horse is supposed to be flexed to the inside? Yes. And should we ask the horse to flex to the inside? Probably, yes. Um, do you know how to do that? Yeah. Can you tell me? You may tell me. And I said, so why aren't you doing it? Oh, you're a saint. <laughs> yeah. You're a saint. He is a saint. <laughs> that, she, that would not be the same conversation that I would be having, but yeah, um, well, but you have to, you have to take them through the steps. This is why Angela 11. does kids, Phil, and we don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't yep. do teens well, either. <laughs> I mean, because of course I want to say, what the hell are you doing? If you know all that, why, <laughs> why are you doing something? Why are you doing nothing? Well, you're doing nothing because you're 11 and your mom is still picking up behind you. you're doing that because nobody's let you make a mistake and you're scared to do it because if you do it, it might not turn out the way your trainer wants you to. That's why. Yeah. So you're just going survival. You're just an 11 year old kid trying to survive your life. (laughs) You know, everybody. Yeah. Instead of me getting upset and mad at you for not flexing your horse to the right, which is just going to make you do the aid in fear. It's not going to do the aid because of the understanding. It's going to be doing the aid in fear and for me to please me. Well, that's really not going to work because when you become 14 or 15 and want to rebel against me, now you're going to go fox hunting and not have a supple horse. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, so, so, yeah, you know, right. I mean, I, so mm-hmm. I'll say, I'm not training you to mimic me or do what I tell you to do. I'm training you to be an independent thinker, to be my assistant trainer, not or to be the horse's leader. You know, like today, the good example, teenagers, little older, 16 years old, land off the gymnastics and they land and let the horse fall on the inside shoulder. And I said, how, you know... I've asked you not to do that type of balance turn anywhere at any time in my arena. However, you continue to go through the gymnastics and lean and allow your horse to pull you over the shoulder and lean over the shoulder. I'm like, so I'm not going to tell you anymore, but I'm going to set up an exercise that if you continue to do that, things are going to get ugly. Yes. And they'll just look at me. And and now the (laughs) ones that have been with me know it. So that same lesson will be an eight-year-old lesson. And I'll say, I have asked you to put down your heel. Miss Angela asked you to keep your heel down three times before I'll ask you to be dismissed. And they'll be like nope. silence. <laughs> and these aren't kids. These are kids that maybe have started at four. They know how to put their heel down. And I'll say, you're being lazy. So I'm going to ask you once, but if I ask you three times, I'm just going to ask you to leave because maybe this is the day you need to go on a trail ride. And they'll just kind of look at me. And I'm like, and that has to be said in neutral and no emotion because you're not, you're not, you don't want to say it in any way, especially with girls or anybody, right? You don't want to say it in any way, like with a tone of you're stupid, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. 
you know, you, you want, because that won't keep it fun. But there are some there. So the expectation starts changing over the years and based on their age. A lot of kids get into horseback riding, like nine to 12 year olds. And so they're kind of set in their learning ways. And you kind of have to find their learning way. And then once you find it, then you have to set the expectation and start requiring that expectation without it being scary. And, and it does yeah, help I mean, to have it, the kids. Yeah, you're making a lot of sense. You're making a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes total yeah, sense. I've put a lot of thought into it. <laughs> yeah, yes, and this is, <laughs> this why is why. Yeah, that's why, you know, if I had kids, I'd be sending them to you. Yeah, they're so good. Well, and I think, you know, Angela, you said, which was particularly impactful, and we were were, were talking about my niece, and that was, you know, there's a big difference when mom or, you know, you got to go, you got to ride the pony, you got to go home, you got to make dinner, you got to, you know, it's easy to want to jump in there and help them, right? And partly you're just doing it because it's faster, Right. But that's not, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? You're like, I got stuff to do, you know, versus you go to Miss Angela's and they know they're like, well, Miss Angela's just going to sit out there until I do it. You know, like, and you said that. Taking your mom and making her go around the barn. Yeah. I was like, no, no, you stay over there. Yeah. Like Like, grandma, grandma, that's all you're doing. I don't think grandma helps my my mom. Yeah. She didn't help us, but man, when it comes to my granddaughter, anyways, we never got help, but, um, but <laughs> right. That, but that's the point, right. Is, is having someone that understands the development of what they can do and what they can't and the time. And cause that's what they're there for. And it's, and, and I am a firm believer, you know, I, I, I feel you were coached by your mom. I, I was coached a little bit by my mom. Um, I try, I don't coach my niece because I think it's, it, it's hard. It's very hard to coach, you know, your family member. So, uh, but it's great when you go to Miss Angela. Yeah. You want to get it, you know? Yeah. I didn't ever think of it that way because they don't learn independence partly because it's easy. Uh, and it's the same for me. Sometimes even tacking up someone's horse, you know, it's just sometimes just quicker if I do it, but then they don't learn. And so that's, yeah. you have to step back and say, yeah, yeah, you tack them up. I'll meet you in the, you know, I'm going to go get a coffee, you know, but that's it for anyone, not just anyone that's learning. Yeah. So. Right. And I mean, then you get to learn your horse and you know, your horse, you know, um, like Emma Ford has a little, I think it's a YouTube video. She's a upper level groom. Right. And if she did something special for us, um, specifically for our pony club and, she on the video, she said, um, you know, you guys need to spend time with your horse on the ground. So, you know, where the spot is on his back that he likes to be scratched the most, Yeah, you know, yeah. Where, where's the spot on the horse that he likes to be touched the most. And that made the kids go, Oh my God, does anybody know that? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Just any, I think that's a good for anyone listening. I think anybody listening, yeah. I think that's a good thing to know. You know, it's like, what do they like? What do they, like, yeah, what do they don't like? That I always remember when I'm teaching because I'm a very goal-oriented person. You know, I set crazy goals and I've had goal parties and it's kind of a little obsession. Is that I have to remember that people learn in their time, not in my time. So, like, when I get a student 
I challenge, like I get a four-year-old, right? So I'm like known to have like the best six-year-olds all around. And um, my six-year-olds can pack up their ponies. They can leave their ponies. They can they get on by themselves. They're very independent. And um, like, I, hey, my seven-year-old, six or seven-year-old just won a perpetual trophy yeah. from the Mid-South Dressage and Eventing Association for dressage. And she's so yeah. cute. Oh my gosh. She's like, <laughs> seriously, it's cute. But she told me, I can't yeah. even tell. she told me it was because she beat all the adults. Yeah, <laughs> it's I true. She's I don't so know cute. how we won the trophy, but whatever. Um, but you know, they learn in their time. So I tend to challenge myself as an instructor. I think because I'm just a type A that I'm like, Oh, I got this kid. She seems athletic. I'm going to have her doing X, Y, and Z in 10 lessons. You know, this is in my head, right? I'm yeah. thinking this. Well, and then all of a sudden, I realized the kid is like an idiot. I mean, no. <laughs> drawing a circle on the board, and she's telling me it's a triangle. I'm like, what is wrong with you? You're athletic, <laughs> but you're not very smart. <laughs> and then I have to breathe and went, oh, yeah, that's right. This isn't my time. This is your right. time. This, this is your about time. me. Just have to, you have to focus on geometry <laughs> for, for a yes. little bit. Yeah. Starting yeah. with exactly. geometry. So now I have to go and teach you something that I think you really should know. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're very and good I, at and, that. Yeah. And it's funny because I was at Reese's and I had ridden with Conrad Schumacher and I sat with him. I'll never forget this. I, I sat with him while he was teaching and he was teaching a lady who had traveled I don't know, from another state to ride with him. And, um, and she had, she had the look, man. She had all the stuff. She had the really nice horse and she looked fit and she just had the look, the, the whole look. Right. And she had traveled with, you know, she had taken many lessons from him and, you know, so here I was thinking that she was going to go, very far in her hour lesson with Conrad because my lesson with Conrad took me great places, you know? And I remember he was teaching, teaching in German and, and English, I think, but I think she wrote mostly in German. And, um, he kept saying, repeating the same phrase. And then he looked at me, (laughs) put up his hands and kind of rolled his eyes. Like, there's not much more I can do. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so that that is like, you know, like we're going to say this again and we're going to stay here in this, whatever it was, they were, whatever we were doing. I think it was like the rainback or something. I don't know. And, um, it wasn't a very fast movement. And, um, I just, re- he was just like, well, we'll do that again. Or we'll do it this way. And then he looked at me and he just like shrugged his shoulders. Like, this is where we're at. You know, well, and I think that's it, such it, a good good way to think about learning and teaching. And even if you're an adult, right? Like sometimes it's just, you can't move forward, right? Um, no matter what what's going on. So I think that's so important to think about. And, and I love that, you know, you're saying everyone learns in their own time. So I think that that's right, such a time, right? Yeah. I think that's yeah. so good. No matter but, what, you, what you buy your kid, right? You buy your kid the best horse in the world. If they still don't, if they still think a triangle is a circle, we're, we're going to be working yeah. on that. 
<laughs> oh, it's so yeah. true. It's so true. Well, Angela, we could keep you on the line forever. We always love it when you come and then chat with us because you're just a wealth of knowledge. And I think everybody, even if you're starting your kiddos or even if you're starting into the sport, um, you can understand. So how can our listeners find you online if they have any more questions for you? So we have, um, they can go on Facebook at Ariadne Equestrian Services. They can go on our website, ariadnehorse.com. Yeah, that's where they can go. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Angela. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, tonight we are so happy to have back on the show, Karen Isberg from Kentucky Performance Products. Karen, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's so much fun to be back. I've missed you guys. I know. We have yeah, we missed, missed you. you yeah. So much. You know, we, you know, we, there's lots of COVID I- issues, but, you know, I think we're all sort of learning how to deal with it. And uh, we're just happy to have you back. And you have always such great topics. And we wanted to talk a little bit about sort of winter needs and caring for horses in the winter. So I'm just going to let you go with that. Okay. Well, one of the things that's come up um, recently is some questions about when is it too cold to bathe your horse? Um, Because a lot of people have questions about that. You know, can I bathe my horse in the winter? Should I wait till the summer? Can some horses can get really dirty? And so I, you know, I do a little bit of research and there was some, there was some interesting work done on that, that they figured out that horses have what they call an average critical temperature. And below that point, they start to feel cold. So a horse that is, is clipped will start to feel cold below 40 degrees. Um, and when a horse is, is very wet, if a horse gets wet, then their critical temperature drops 10 to 15 degrees below that. So if it's 50 degrees out and you get your horse wet, he's going to drop to 40 degrees and he's going to start to feel cold. So basically what the research was saying that if the temperatures are below 50 to 55 degrees, you shouldn't wash your horse unless you're using certain precautions like, you know, Reese, with us, um, before we went to Florida, the horses had grown quite a bit of winter coat, but we had to, we had to wash them so they could be clipped. And we don't, we don't clip them till a few weeks before they go to Florida. And so what we would do then was we would wash them under the heat lamp with warm water. And then right away, we would cover them up with, you know, some kind of a wool cooler, something that will wick the water away and keep them warm at the same time. And then they weren't returned back to their stalls or put in their blankets until they were completely dry. So that's an option. If somebody has that kind of facility, that's so they they could wash the horse in the winter, but it's really important to keep the horse warm. What do you guys do in Canada, Philip? Well, I mean, we have, you know, we're, we're, we're in Canada all winter, every winter. So yeah, basically, you know, the, you, you have to have kind of a insulated barn. So, you know, where I'm at, the, the barn stays kind of, uh, about, about five degrees, you know, five degrees, you know, maybe zero. Um, so, and then we have a whole heat lamp set up and, you know, lots of, lots of coolers and stuff. And, and so, you know, the, the horses that we, we clip in, um, kind of November, that's kind of the first clip, depending on the horse. Uh, you know, maybe it's only one time per winter, but a lot of them we have to do again and, you know, just keep the hair short and then lots of blanketing. And, and then, uh, but you know, if, if I have a horse that gets, you know, kind of sweaty, I, you know, I, I just really don't like to just, you know, turn the hose. We have warm water and everything too, but I, you know, I will sponge 
you know, sponge the sweat off, you know, just, and, you know, really sweat scraper and just try not to leave the horse with any water on them. And if they have a long coat, you have to be even more careful because you have to wait. You have to make sure that coat gets completely dry. Oh, yeah. Before you before you let them out or put them in their blankets or turn put them back in their stall. So I, I think it's just really important for people to to take great care if they do have to bay the horse in the winter. I, I like you, try to stay away from that. Yeah. I, I mean, might do I, legs if they need it. but don't Right. Anything. And do legs and get them under the heat lamp. Um, but uh, Phil, what kind of clip do you normally do in Canada for the horses? Well, we, we do just do full body clip. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've got one with a bit of a blanket clip, uh, you know, to try to keep the, um, so, so th- we leave them with a saddle pad basically and top of the back. So the blanket would be just, you know, top of the back, but uh, you know, the big, the big places where they sweat would be, uh, you know, in the neck and around the neck. So, you know, we, we, t- we just try to try to take off as much as possible. If we do it right, in November, they, they have they a chance dry, to grow. Right? Yeah. yeah they have a chance to grow their hair yeah. back. So by, by the time, so now we were just talking about it, that it's going to be minus 30 with the wind chill, you know, this weekend. So, um, but if you, if you clip in November, they have a chance to grow the hair back, kind of, you know, get something on them by, uh, by January so that, uh, they're not completely really, really short. I don't like a really, really short clip, you know, but, uh, we try, we try to give, give them, you know, whatever the horse needs, but some horses are just really hairy and we got to yeah. take it all, you know, we got almost got to take it all. It just depends on the horse and some, some, you know, we have bigger sweaters than that, than others, you know, that, that will sweat a lot. So each horse is a little bit an individual in, you know, in our decision about clipping, but yeah, it's gotta be fun. You know, clipping is just functional. It's, it's, it's not right. just about looks. Right. So. Right. Exactly. And you know, it's, it's, you also have to pay attention. Like when you come to Florida, I'm a big, like Karen was saying, uh, we always bathe them, we clip them, we bathe them again. So they're really, and, and we typically do it about two weeks before we head south. Because I think in Florida, uh, especially if horses haven't been here very much, you can get some skin fungus. Now, there's some people that believe in clipping in Florida. Um, I've never had success with that. So that's how we do it. We do it at home and it's just a little bit easier. So um, everybody, you know, again, everybody's a little bit different, but you really have to pay attention to that. And, but you know, we just had to clip a horse again the other day because he had grown quite a coat down here. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it is, you have to pay attention to, you know, just what's going on. But, you know, truly the function of clipping is so that they, you can get to their skin and you can dry them or clean them. Like in my case in Florida, it, it's too hot in, in a winter coat. Um, but it, at home, if you're riding, you do need to have some level of clip so that you can, like Karen said, dry them and put them away. Um, and it just takes a lot less time. <laughs> right, Karen? Right. And we've got, so I've got one horse in my barn that's completely clipped because he's ridden a lot. And of course, you know, we have to really watch him and keep him blanketed. And then Oreo, I just keep a blanket on him to suppress his coat because he really doesn't grow much of a winter coat, believe it or not. And I don't work him as hard in the winter. And if he does sweat, I just throw a cooler on him until he's dry. And I can put him in my barn. My barn stays fairly warm. And it, of course, it's not as cold here as it is in Canada. So it's a little bit different. And then Leo, he's outside all the time where he is now. So he has just a trace clip. So they just clip down his neck, his chest, under his belly, all those places where he sweats. But they left 
the hair on the top of his neck and over his back. And that keeps him warmer when he's out in the evenings in this cold weather. So, yeah, exactly. It depends on the horse and what you're doing with them as to whether or not what kind of clip they need. And there's a lot of clips that are very functional. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's lots of options, and you, you know, you can kind of make you your own. Creative and just do your yeah. own. You know, there's yeah, not you like do you your have to look in a book. You're like, oh, okay. Identify the spots where the horse is, um, you know, most likely to be sweating, and 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 just uh, and just do it. I mean, you know, ours don't go out and show in the winter, so I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be super pretty either. It just has it's functional over anything else. Right. Right. You know, right, because right. people people look at clip jobs that I do and they're just like, what did you do? <laughs> I can see that, Bill. Over the I place. Can see. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. That's the you know, thing. If just, you were ever yeah, to look at guy. Yeah, Phillips clips versus Reese's clips. <laughs> that would probably <laughs> define a lot about us, yeah, Phil. <laughs> but you're showing also all women. Yeah, we're showing. Yeah, but I just said that's yeah, just maybe matter. a little bit about our personalities, right there. Minor, like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> 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 Phil's are like, we're, and, and we're both very successful, Phil. And you know, I love you. Everybody would laugh. Like that's just the difference. <laughs> I just had to point that out. But um, you could put pictures up and go, whose horse is this? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Clip yes, or, we will do that. I think yeah. that's yeah. We'll, we'll put that on the Facebook page. Like, whose horse is this? That's not fair. Mine are in Florida, and they're showing, so it's not percent fair. But um, Karen, you know, another typical problem in the winter is the snow falling off the roof. So, what are some suggestions you have for that? <laughs> snow falling off the roof. Besides moving to Florida. You know, besides moving to Florida, you mean and it falling off the roof and scaring your horse? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think that's that's something that everybody deals with, right? And horses get really anxious with that. So, yeah. uh, you know, that I, and I, well, right. One of the big problems oftentimes in the winter is that because of the weather, either because of the snow or the ice, and usually it's ice because horses can go out a little bit more in snow or if it gets too cold, horses don't get to go out as much. In some places they're out all the time, but in a lot of places they don't get to go out as much. And especially if it's a horse that you're trying to ride and work. And so, you you know, maybe you have an indoor, maybe you're outside, you know, and those horses can get pretty, can get pretty um, wound up because they're in all the time. So one thing that we talked about, Reese, we were talking about was, you know, using a calming pace in situations like that to just kind of take the edge off your horse. And you use them down in, down in Florida. And I've used yeah, because we get weather so when swings we first start here. showing horses. Yeah, yeah, when the weather we get really big weather swings here, where the horses, you know, it's eighty one day and then thirty the next with winds like crazy, uh, and 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 especially their first season here, that can be challenging for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a product. It's called Trouble Free, and it's basically it's it's a next generation calming paste. So what it the key ingredient in this calming paste is alpha lactalbumin, which is a whey protein that supports serotonin production. It maintains normal nerve function. So what it does, what makes this different from some of your older, uh, your old technology or magnesium and tryptophan based calming pastes, is that it takes the edge off, but it doesn't have a sedative effect. So it doesn't make them dopey. It just makes them less anxious. And when they're less anxious, then, of course, they work better. Also, horses don't develop a tolerance 
to um, this like they do the older generation magnesium and tryptophan formulas. Um, lots of times those formulas worked because a horse had a, a deficiency. And once you got the deficiency regulated, then they would stop, they would seem to stop working. And if you had a high strung horse, then you would be right back to square one where you were, this horse was still high strung. But this product works differently and um, you've used it and I've been, I use it and I'm sometimes my worst critic. Um, but I've been really pleased with it. It just, it really seems to just take the edge off and allows the horse to kind of take a breath and kind of take in what's going on around them and just not be so silly. Yeah, for sure. And and it's USCF legal, correct? At, right now. I mean, it's USCF yeah. legal. Yeah. You can use it yeah. when going, you yeah. cannot use it at an international competition, but at a national competition, you can use it. I just always like to say that just so everybody's clear with that. Yes. Um, and if anybody isn't, you know, always check with whoever your governing body is. So if we've got any, you know, Western riders or people that are in different disciplines, it's always yes. good to check your governing body just to make sure that there's no ingredients in it, that that particular governing body may, uh, may cause you a problem or a positive drug test. So exactly. But for USCF, USDF, we, you can go to a competition, which is what I like about it. I, I want to use a product that you can go to a competition safely. So, uh, it's also yeah. a plus, um, but it really does help. And I, and, and I do think it's important if you, you know, use it one day, maybe before your horse is anxious, but, um, that, that is a tough time in the winter because consistency is an issue when you're, when you're at North it's hard. And it's cold. So. I mean, you know, and horses mm -hmm. have a little bit more energy when it's cold anyway. And like you say, there's things going on like snow falling off the roof or, you know, there's always different things going on that, that might set them off. So if a horse has been in for a while and, you know, you can always lunge them and things like that, but you may find that using a calming, we have, this is in a paste and a powder. So you can use it yeah. in the paste as needed. And then you, you use, you can use it every day if you want. And typically we recommend that you give it two or three hours prior to whatever the event is that may make your horse anxious. And I find that if you give it to them the day before and then the day of that, I get a better result than if I just yeah. wait to the day of. So that seems yeah, no, to work. I think that's good. No, mm -hmm. I think that's fantastic. I love it. Also it also well, kind of gives you an idea of how long it takes to work because it, it's a little bit different in each horse. So yeah. Absolutely. Karen, how is Oreo? Everybody knows, knows you. And listen, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, Karen and her horse Oreo. So just to check in, how is he? Oreo is doing great. Um, you know, for the first few years of COVID, we be, he basically became um, kind of a trail horse because I didn't have any place to ride on my property and I was building an indoor arena, which is done. Hurrah. Yeah. So, um, so we did a lot of we did a lot of walking and trotting and, and cantering up and down hills and um, it just it it just was really good for both of us. It was good for our confidence. It was good for beautiful, wonderful for my seat, and uh, it was good for his little pushy. Uh, he got real fit. And um, recently, <laughs> before it got real cold, I brought him back um, into the into the ring, and he was just fantastic. Um, he had to have a little lesson about what forward meant again. You know, because that's not his favorite thing. Oh, <laughs> bummer! But, but yeah. after 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 a week or so of yes, you know, when we go into the arena, you have to go forward. You have to move off my leg. He remembered everything, and he's been great. He's just so much fun, and my seat is much better, and our canter work is just so much better. And he's just doing. He's just 
He's my hard horse, you know. What can oh, I, say? Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, Karen, as always, we, we I love when you come on and you have so many great resources. So how can people find them, find you, all the good stuff? Well, the we have a, a really nice website, ktpusa.com. And aside from information about all our products, we have a great area called Tips and Topics. And there's just tons and tons of articles in there about all kinds of interesting things. And if anybody has a topic that they want to learn more about, they can feel free to email us at info at kppusa.com. And we'll be happy to to research it and write an article on it. So you can also um, find me on Facebook. You can find KPP on Facebook and you can message me there. So we're, we're around. We're also on Instagram. We're on Pinterest. We're on all of the, all of the social media sites. All the Twitter. things. I all love the it. Things. Doing all, all the things, things now. <laughs> I love it. Well, Karen, we're so glad you were able to come on tonight. Happy New Year. And we can't wait to keep getting updates and hearing how you and Oreo are doing. Well, you guys have a great season in Florida. I'm so excited for you and your new horses. <laughs> Yay. And Me Phil, too. It's going to be fun. Try not to freeze to death. Oh, Phil. Uh, I'll be all right. <laughs> He'll be all right. He's tough. Thank you. Thank He's you. Tough. He is tough. <laughs> Thank he is you, tough. Karen. Oh. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Well, Phil, as always, we like to tell everybody, you know, again, always check your, your equipment. It's really important. But those stability stirrup leathers... Oh, they're the best thing. I really, really like them. Um, we use them every day and I was cleaning my jacket, getting ready for the competition and I, they look awesome. I've been, and I've been riding hard and I was like, they don't even look like I've been riding. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great products that come from Total Saddle Fit, but those uh, stability stirrup lovers, probably the best things I've changed my life. So yeah, me too. Know. My leg position, 100%. Yeah. So, you know, go ahead and check them out. They've got lots of great products over at totalsaddlefit.com. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. So, Phil... I was, I was coaching a student and I think she'll love it that we used it as a tip. Cause I told her, I literally now, just because we do trainer tips, you know, as I'm riding and somebody has a light bulb moment, I try to write it down. You have like a little note in my phone so that we can pull it up. And this happened actually two days ago. And, um, it's my student. She's, she's been very successful in intro and we're working toward training level. And we were working on 20 meter circles and the roundness of the 20 meter circle. And she said, she rode and she, she's like, you know, she kind of came to a nice halt and she said, I, I think I have something to tell you. And I said, Oh, awesome. You know what? I was like, that was a really good circle. She's like, I think I found a key. And I said, Oh, awesome. What is it? And she goes, if I ride my circles as four quarters, I can keep them rounder. And it's easier for me to think about the bend on my circle as not such a big as one unit, but as four different units. And, you know, I think I teach it that way. I teach go to the circle points, but it was really cool to see her and how she had that light bulb of, if I just take the quarter, it goes a lot better. So I thought that was a cool tip that I wanted to share. Um, and I'm sure you have uh, something to add. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome if you can break down any of the movements into smaller sections and just uh, achieve 
one section at a time, you know, uh, people who think like, okay, when you, especially the bigger circles, if you have, uh, you know, a 20 meter circle and you leave, leave the track at a and have to return to a, it, that's, that's a little overwhelming, right? I mean, you got to like think, think about the whole thing, but if you break it down into quarters, that helps a lot of people, you know? So and geometry wise, you have to know where the four points of the circle is. And then maybe Reese, you can blow her mind and, you know, either, I, I think it's helpful to set out pylons, but once you break it down yes. into quarters, you can break it down further and break those quarters down in half. So it's, it's more of an octagon. You have eight points to think about, and, and then maybe that circle will get even better. You know, even, I'm going to, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Oh, we're right? doing that tomorrow. Yeah. 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 Because <laughs> you should, you know, every, that, that'll be a pro, like, if you're trotting, that's approximately every third stride. Right. And, you know, for, for everyone that I'm t teaching, you have to think about everything in terms of every third stride, um, you know, because every third stride, you should be doing something, whether it's sending the horse a little bit more forward or giving a little bit more of a balancing half halt every three strides, there is something to do. Yes. So if you're riding around and there's, you know, um, and you're just, you know, those, those early tests, whether it's uh, training level, first level, second level gets a little bit more complicated, but, um, don't just be going around like point to point, like, okay, I've only got, you know, I've got to get across the full diagonal. Even when you're riding that, that full, um, diagonal in a 20 by 60 ring, do something yeah. every third stride so that you're, yeah. you're used to, as you move up the levels that, you know, when, when stuff gets a little bit more complicated, you're already self-trained to, to be doing stuff every third stride. And then by the time you get to Grand Prix, it'll be easy, right? <laughs> yeah, sure, <laughs> Phil. It's uh, super easy, just, Phil. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. I mean, yeah, it's but it's so every true. Every other stride, you're trying to do something or every every stride, you're making every stride, a little it, Well. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I, it, no, a great point, actually. Um, I, I found in the Grand Prix, I think every stride is mapped out for me. And, but that's, that's me and, and how I do it. I know exactly where I'm supposed to be. But the point is that should be the level of detail you have at whatever level you're showing, right? Is that you're constantly doing something, but you know, in the Grand Prix, you have four strides to do something in a training level. You may have a 20 meter circle and a long side. So it, it, it's easier to not think of it that way, but I love sort of every third stride you need to be active. So I think that that's a great total set off at tip of the week. Good job, Phil. Um, I, I love it. And I think everybody, well, good you know, job let us student, know, you know, bringing us, yes. bringing us the light bulb moment and then, light bulb and moment. then, uh, Allowing us to kind of break it down, even you know, even further to uh, to help people be more successful right. in in the basic movement because that's all you know that's what it takes. And we love it. So seriously, everybody, email, Facebook, shout us your light bulb moments because if you're having them, we can send them out to a whole lot more people. And uh, everybody has those moments where you're like, oh my gosh! And you're, sometimes your trainer may be thinking, I've said that one million times. But for whatever reason, it sunk <laughs> in. Until it, it clicks, it, yeah. You know, until it clicks, it's it's a, it's a struggle. Exactly. So send us your life all moments. That would be super fun to hear what everybody's doing, and we can share them with everybody else. So um, I love, I love it. So, um, but also just a quick reminder: we've got a great book club of the month going. Uh, it is Robert Dover's book, "The Gates to Brilliance." Uh, it's been great. I've been reading it, Phil, in the evening. Um, <laughs> 
I'm not going to lie. I've been pretty tired. So I get through a couple pages and I maybe have poking up with it on my chest, but it's it's because I'm tired, but it's a great book. It's a great read. Um, I've been really enjoying it and hearing his story because we all have a story and and how he became successful and it's a really great book. So I would highly recommend it. The Gates to Brilliance by Robert Dover. And as always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is probably through Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a good show. That's Kentucky Performance Products and Total Saddle Fit. Don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we look forward to talking with you next week. Thank you.